when he's in us. Well, number one, he's a seal upon our hearts before heaven and earth that we belong to God. Ephesians tells us that. He seals us. We are sealed with the spirit of promise. He's the down payment. He's the foretaste of things to come. So when we experience the Holy Spirit, that's what the afterlife to the Christian is going to be like. Aren't you glad? Right? Aren't you glad this isn't it? So when you're in the spirit, you're like, it's going to be like this forever? Forever. He's the foretaste of, what to com- of that which is to come. He seals the believer in, before heaven and earth so all things in spirit look at them, look at you, and they know that you belong to the Lord. He's in you. He bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. He's constantly trying to work you up and into your identity. This is why I tell the Christian, Jesus, the spirit of God, is not relating to you in reference to your sin. He's relating to you in reference to your identity. Doesn't mean he's not pointing out sin, but he's not pointing out sin in the area of condemnation. Because there is therefore now no condemnation. He's pointing out areas of your life that are not in line with your identity. Big difference. This is not who you are, Kevin. Why are you doing that? This behavior is not in line with who you are. Why are you doing that? That's how he's working. He's bearing witness that you're the child of God. He's not bearing witness that you're a sinner. It's interesting he says that. His witness in our hearts is towards our identity in Christ. His witness in our hearts is towards our destiny. And what happens is, is we believe lies. We take over us the spirit of condemnation. When the Bible clearly says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. There's no sin. When you're born again, you're born again. You are. My son was just asking me about this uh, in the back uh, on Friday night at the conference. He's talking to me about sin. And he says, why does sin need to be repented of? I said, because sin carries with it a debt. When you cross the line into sin, you inherit a debt that is already upon sin itself. And you carry that forth. And when you return to Jesus, you are coming back to him. And he takes the debt of the sin off of you. You can't lift it off of yourself. The Bible is very clear. The language in the Greek is very clear. It's hermeneutically correct, if you will, that there's two types of sin. The Bible uses two different Greek words for sin. But we have taught this all-encompassing understanding of sin in one idea. There's a sin of condemnation. There's a Greek word. It's, I always get them confused, but I'll give you the words. Harmatano. It means to offend. The sin that condemns man is the offense. We've pushed him away. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way. Lord has laid upon him the iniquity, the offense of us all. That is the sin that John says leads unto death. If you ever read that, there's sins that don't lead unto death. What the heck is the Bible talking about? It's talking about sins that that disrupt your destiny, but don't eternally condemn you. The only sin that eternally condemns a person is the denial of Jesus Christ as Lord and the refusal to submit unto his authority in surrender of heart. It's an offense. We've pushed God away and we've offended God and we've shoved, that's what the word offense means, to push away. We've pushed him away. We've declared ourselves to be our own God and we've declared ourselves independent of his sovereignty or his authority. And there's a gap. That's why when we come back to Jesus, the word repentance means to return. It's the Hebrew word teshuva. It's the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia means to shift the way that you see, but the Greek word or the Hebrew word is teshuva, which means return. And so which one is it? It's both. We return to the Lord and we see things differently. And so with salvation, we've separated ourselves in, in salvation, or excuse me, in our sin, mankind has separated ourselves. We must return to the Lord. And what do we call him? We call him Lord, right? And in doing so, we're saying, this is how the offense is removed from the heart. It's not, Jesus, you're my big buddy. It's, I am not master of my own life. You are. I am not Lord. You are. Do you see why that's necessary? 
It's necessary because the sin is that we've declared ourselves to be God. We've declared that we do not, we are independent of God and we don't need God. Or we created God as we understand him to be, whatever it may be. But that's what our ancestor Adam did. He wanted to be like God, did he not? Is that not what the scripture said? He wanted the knowledge of good and evil. You will be like God. And he offended God. He became his own God. And that's the sin that condemns us all. That's why every human being must return to him and acknowledge his sovereignty. We have to acknowledge that you are Lord and we are not. You are God and I am not. The offense is removed and you become born into the family. You become realigned as a child of God under his intended purposes. Then there are sins. Can we, can we, can we get a witness here? And somewhere along the line this morning, as Christians, we still sin. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody here or am I the only one? Right? Can we get past this place of hypocrisy in this place of self-righteousness? Can we get past that? The point is, is that those sins do not condemn you. This is where we have these difficult theological problems with the scripture. But if you understand what I'm saying to you, the theological problem is removed. That's why the Bible says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. What does that mean? It means, okay, Christian, you're born again and you go and sin. Does that condemn you? No, but it certainly is not going to profit you and it is not going to bring you to destiny. And we have a hard time with that because we believe that if we don't keep people under a council of fear, everybody will walk away. When the Bible says just the opposite, it is the love of Christ that compels us. People say, well, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from, free, from, from evil. Yes, that's true. Unto salvation. But Paul, being born again, said, I don't follow God under the law of fear. I now follow him all the law of liberty. I now follow him under the law of freedom. And there's where Romans comes in and says, well, shall we sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. He said, if that's your attitude, you don't understand it. But what he is saying is that the Christian has liberty to go forth in his name, not worrying if they stub their toe on something that they're eternally damned and they got to come to the altar and get saved again. This is what the Bible teaches. I'm not saying it's what churches teaches. I'm not saying what, doctor, what, what do denominations teach. I'm telling you what the scripture teaches. If the offense is removed from your heart, you're a child of God. But I have, now I have to understand that I am who I am. I'm a son and a daughter before him, and I have a destiny. And that the foolish choices that I make outside of him, although they will not condemn me, I will receive a result of those choices. It's not a choice without result. You make the choice, and there is a result to the choice. You understand? We reap what we sow, so we reap what we sow, and that reaping does not disalign me in my who I am as a child, but what it does is it takes me off of destiny. Parents in the room, does your child not become a child? Is he no longer your child? Just because they're behaving in ways that are outside the family, does they suddenly now no longer, are they no longer your child? Of course not. They're still your child. They may be believing and believing in ways that are outside of your beliefs or outside of your family or outside of even the blessing of the household, but they're still your child, are they not? Are they not? And you're looking at them, realizing that the choices that they make don't remove them from being a child, but the choices that they make affect who they become. You understand? It's the same dynamic. It doesn't affect our identity, but it affects who we become. There's a huge difference in that. For freedom's sake, Christ has made you free. I'm free in the name of Jesus. I don't want anything that's not profitable. I believe God has more for me than I could possibly understand. 
I believe I have a destiny. I have a mandate. I have a mission in this world. And I have something great that I am to bring to this world. And I cannot do that if I'm constantly under the yoke of fear. I cannot do that if I'm constantly under the yoke of being able to fail. And oh, I just please God. Has God got a baseball bat? Is he waiting for me? He, no one else knows. Well, God knew what I did over here. So is he waiting for me to walk out the door so he can crack me? No. Who told you that? You don't know your father. It's called poopy diapers, people. You poop your pants. People don't like when I say it, but I like to say this anyway. It's a great <laughs> illustration. Babies poop their diapers, don't they? Every now and then, just right there it is. But eventually, as the child grows, they get past that. They have no self-control in those areas. We get this? Oh, you pooped your diaper. You're not my child. Put that kid up for adoption. Out the door with you. You wouldn't do that. If you, being evil, wouldn't do such things, what makes you think your Heavenly Father does that? He doesn't. He works with you and works with you and works with you. We've got to get past this law of condemnation. I don't know why, who this is for, because this is not in my notes, but this is for somebody, because I feel it. We've got to get past this religion, and we've got to get past this self-condemnation, and we've got to get past this. It's a law of liberty, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. And you will learn that it's with him and without him. That's what you'll learn. Oh, I'm free. With him, without him. When you follow him, blessing abounds. When I don't, you become symbiotically bound to the kingdom. When you become born again, you are bound to the gospel. Your life is not your own. As you interact with the gospel, so your life becomes blessed. As you deny the gospel, so your life goes the other way. It's true. It's not Shazam. God, Jesus works everything out. As I participate in this kingdom, so, the genera so these things begin to generate in my life. Is my pants down? My zipper's down. I'll just break it. I'll just break that. I'll break, I'll break the ice right there with that. We'll get past the crickets. <laughs> I think Jesus does that just because sometimes I'm too serious, and I think that's like that's a really way. Kevin, your zipper's down. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> Holy Spirit moves in our life as a river. So as a Christian, what we have to understand is the Spirit of God is given to us as salvation, declaring us to be sons and daughters, but his intent in our life is to move through our lives like a river, like a river. And so the question is, what is a river? And somebody would go, duh, but do you really know what a river is? Have you really even asked the question, what's a river? Well, I know what a river is. No, but can you define it? We know things, but we need to define it so that we can understand what's a river. It's a directional flow of water in force. That's what a river is. So who's the spirit of God? He's in our life. He's a river, which means he's a directional flow of water, if you will, or a directional flow of power with force. He's moving in a direction with force. That's his intent. What does a river do? A river brings life. A river changes landscapes. Everybody see the Grand Canyon? Entire landscape changed by rushing river, rushing water. Rivers change landscapes. Rivers create deltas. What is a delta? A delta is fast-moving water, and when a fast-moving river hits a slower-moving body of water, the river deltas. It branches out into all these different directions. The water deltas outwardly, creating additional flows of water. What does that tell us? The Holy Spirit is meant to flow in our lives, and when we encounter areas of weakness or we encounter areas of lesser force, the Spirit manifests 
or the spirit deltas out into our life. That's what's supposed to be. Next slide. What is a delta? This is a delta. This is a river delta. Where's the life? Where's the green? The green isn't in the flow of the river. The green is when the, when the river delta. So the spirit of God is to flow in our life, delta out. And as the spirit of God deltas out of the believer's life, what does it create? Say this with is right. It creates life. There's a pattern in creation. And one of the patterns in creation is a delta. Delta is a Greek symbol of a triangle. If you know anything about the, what does this mean in, in Hebrew and what does it mean in the Bible, if you know anything about the Star of David, it's the triangle going this way and the triangle going that way. It's two deltas. Okay? If you want to know who David is, the name David is up, down, up. David's name is three deltas, up, down, up. So what does it mean? And then we go and we, we, we want to go real prophetic. I'll give you one for Revelation. I will give to you the key of David. In other words, understand the delta. Understand the delta. It's all through nature. Everything in nature has this pattern to it. If there's a pattern, say this with me. If there's a pattern in the creation, there is an intended design. In other words, if God did this as a pattern in creation, there's something we can learn from it. There's knowledge that is released to us prophetically, experientially, and through revelation. God does not reveal all of his secrets. The secrets are for the intimates. You understand that? But David said, how deep is your word? How unfathomable are your depths? Yeah, we have churches that think we got it all figured out. Do we really? Do we really have it all figured out? I don't think we do. We got a lot of it figured out, but there are mysteries of God that we do not completely understand. And those mysteries and those realms are accessed only by the people who want it. The Bible said it is the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is the glory of kings and queens, that's you, royal priesthood, to search it out. So God conceals it, and it is an honor to you to seek the Lord for the higher things. But if you don't want to seek him, that's okay too. It lays on the ground. Somebody else is going to find it. Somebody else is going to understand it. This delta is a pattern throughout creation. As the, delta, as the river deltas out, it creates life. Next slide. This is the top section of a tree, so you can see the tree's delta. Anybody know what runs through a tree? Sap. Sap is a river, is it not? It's a river. It's a flow. It's got all different kinds of nutrients in it, but one of its main compositions is water. So we see a pattern of delta. Trees do not produce fruit in the trunk. They produce fruit in the branches. They produce fruit where the delta exists. Do you understand? As a Christian, you're not going to produce fruit in the river. You're going to produce fruit in the delta. And the outward expressions of the Holy Spirit is where the fruit is going to be born. Ah, come on. Next slide. Lightning deltas. You can see it better over here. Same pattern. You have delta. Your nervous system is a delta. Your circulatory system is a delta. Is Jesus trying to understand something? Life comes through the outward expressions. It doesn't come through the main artery. It comes through the outward expressions. If the deltas in your fingers, stop, if the nerve endings or the delta nerves in your fingers stop operating, your finger becomes numb, doesn't it? There's no life there. Because life isn't necessarily in the spine. That's the center point of the nervous system or the outward point, although that's important. Life in the outward comes through the delta. Same thing with blood. If blood circulation is not happening in certain areas, there's no life in that area. But the life comes through the outward expressions. Why am I saying this? Because we have to understand the Holy Spirit. 
We have to understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not given so much as a party within the church as much as he is intended to be an outward expression through the life of the believer. It's the whole essence of revival. I said at first service, Christians, if we understand revival at all, we think revival is a party in the church. That's not the biblical understanding. Revival is something that affects change within the world, something that affects change within a city, something that affects change outwardly, not inwardly. So if we're just having a party in the church, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but don't call it revival, because it's not. Revival transforms cities. And say this with me, transform people, transform cities. If you're not transforming, nothing's going to transform. The Holy Spirit is the transformer. He's the transformer. So here it is. Isaiah 11, Jesus talks about a delta. And the Spirit of God, if you understand how the Holy Spirit works, he's a river that deltas. And how does he delta? He deltas out into these expressions. And here's the first one. The first one is the Spirit of the Lord. The first aspect of the Holy Spirit is presence. If you don't have presence, you don't have anything else. If you don't know how to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit, nothing else matters. Because everything else flows from presence. You activate and access the presence of God. You can do it 24-7, any day of the week, any time. You can access the presence of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Let him come. Feel his peace. Feel his presence. That's the presence of the Lord. And from that river, that's the river, from that river comes what? The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, power, knowledge, and the fear or reverence of the Lord. You have access to things nobody else gets. You have a wisdom that is from another world. Where do I get that? In the spirit, from the Lord. If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. It comes from the Lord. It comes through wisdom. It comes through the spirit. You have an ability to understand things, concepts that you don't think you can understand. I don't believe there's any such thing. This is my personal opinion. I believe we can overcome any and all learning disabilities because we have the Holy Spirit of God. How do you know that? Because I've seen it in my own life. Things I didn't know in accessing and living through the Spirit, God gives me the understanding. Another thing we don't understand about learning disabilities is that people are created differently. I'm going to free somebody in here today. People think that learning disabilities, what learning disabilities is what, what society is saying is you are a nonconformist to our method. This is our method, and you don't fit into the Lego box. So you have a learning disability because you don't learn like everybody else. You don't see as everybody else. There's no learning disabilities. There's teaching disabilities. I would just tell you that. And I'm not talking about people don't have problems and things like that. But a lot of times we, we, we pronounce things over our life. And what we fail to value is we fail to value the uniqueness of the individual. Because people don't conform to society's norms. We label them outsider because you don't learn math like this. You have a learning disability. Well, from their perspective, you do. I believe that there are no learning disabilities. I believe everybody's fearfully and wonderfully made and all can contribute artistically, creatively, and do wonderful things beyond what they can ask or think. And I think that a lot of it, I'm not saying all of it, so, you know, I'm not going to be dogmatic on it, but I, I would say a lot of it is just condemnations of the devil to suppress, to suppress people's identity, to suppress most of the people who have learning disabilities. So if you're in here and you feel like you have a learning disability, you know what you do have? You have a creative impulse. That's what you have. Most people who have learning disabilities have creative impulses. They impulse differently. They don't impulse logically, they impulse creatively. And they get bored, and I don't know why I'm talking about this. And they get bored in seeing certain things certain ways. I guarantee if you feel like you have a learning disability, I want you to try something creative. Try something creative. It doesn't have to be artistic, it can be artistic. 
but start expressing yourself in new and creative ways and see if their life doesn't come into you and see if something doesn't change. Look at things differently. Look at things creatively. Am I making sense on that at all? Is anybody getting that? I don't know. I'm probably creating more questions than I am answers. That's why I'm digging myself into a hole with that. So not fully being able to explain myself. But the point is, is I would dare you to push into creative, to push into that. Culture doesn't accept that all so readily, do we? We like everybody to live in the same house, wear the same clothes. Church is known for that. We all got to be the same. You know what the person, you know what a question I get? At the most common comment I get from people? Like, man, this church is so diverse. You guys are like, not just diverse, like ethnically. You're diverse, like everybody's different. And we're not all like robots. The denomination says that we do this, you know. Jesus appreciates uniqueness. Holy Spirit is like a river that deltas out within you. Uh, so here's the Spirit of God. Same thing in Revelation. He says he has the seven spirits of God. Are there seven spirits of God? No, there's one who's deltaing out. That's what he's referencing. It's the same thing. It's a pattern of seven. Same spirit manifesting himself in seven different categories. And under each category, there are subcategories. What does wisdom look like? It looks like this. What does understanding look like? It looks like this. What does counsel look like? It looks like this. What does might and power look like? It looks like this. What's the point? We need to understand what the Spirit of God has given and how he operates in our lives. That is very, very important. Holy Spirit, you will not, Christian, you will not understand that you, you will not understand where to get wisdom if you don't understand that it comes from the Spirit of God. You're like, well, I'm asking, Lord, give me wisdom, Lord, give me wisdom. Well, watch this. Step into the Holy Spirit, get into the presence of the Lord, and begin to ask God for wisdom and let him start downloading. Let him start giving you understanding. Let him start showing you things that you don't know. I shared it for a service, and you guys, I've shared this testimony many times because this is one of the biggest pieces where I've seen this operate in my life. I was a young guy. I was making a lot of money. didn't come from a good family, so I'm making my way in the world. And uh, I'd been to schooling, but the type of business that I was in, my, anybody know what I'm talking about? The school did not prepare me <laughs> for what I was doing, right? And I, what I got out in the real world, and a lot of the stuff that they had taught me didn't have a lot of real-world applications to it. And so I got out there realizing, whoa, this isn't enough. And I had to know some things. And so I, I just dawned on me one day, asked the Lord. And I was in a spirit-filled church. And so I was like, all right, Holy Spirit, let's show me. You're, the, you're this. Give me understanding. Give me wisdom into these areas. And over a period of about 12 months, the Lord began to heighten my understanding and heighten my wisdom into the very thing that I was doing. And it wasn't like I had an epiphany. He, everybody say it with me. He used people. He used places. And he used things. So he brought people into my life that knew this. And all of a sudden, I start relating to this person and asking them questions. And as this person knows this, is explaining it to me, I was not only able to hear it, I was able to understand it. And I was able to comprehend it. And I was able to see things and understand things that, it, to the degree that in my field at the time, this is going back years, I had people that were much older than me looking at me going, how in the world do you know this? How do you know what you know? I mean, I'm, I've been doing this a lot longer than you, and you're doing this at this time. How do you know it? Well, the reason I knew it was because I had the Spirit of God. I had the Holy Spirit. He exalts, he ignites you and opens aspects up. You're all uniquely gifted and uniquely talented, but your unique gifts and your unique talents only become maximized or activated or go to their optimum levels through the Spirit of God. 
You may be a math genius, I tell people. What would happen if you operated in the mind of Christ with your mathematics? Could it be the Lord would show you something? You might be a financial wizard. Could it be what would happen if you began to operate in the spirit with that same talent and that same strength? What would happen? What would happen? Because that's what he's given to us for, is to accelerate and heighten us. If God's given you an ability or a cut above the rest, most of us, if you have a cut above the rest, you can be a slacker and still be better than most. And if you've worked a job for long, you figure that out real quick. Well, I can be a slacker, and I'm still better than half these people around here. You know what I'm saying? But what would happen if you took your natural innate abilities and used them? What would God do with them? Could he do more? Would he do more? What if you're a medical science and you're in medical research? I was just telling this to Elias. I'm sharing the card on the way. I said, what would happen if somebody with the spirit of God began to look at cancer in a whole new way and began to ask the Lord for insights into cures and concepts and things that would change? What would happen? Oh, no, we've got, we've got it all figured out. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. The mind of the Lord changes everything. The spirit of God changes everything. The weakness of God is greater than the strength of man. The foolishness of God is greater than the, weakness, uh, the, the wisdom of man. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are your not thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways a little bit higher than yours. So is my thinking a little bit higher than yours. I understand quantum physics. I understand molecular dynamics. I understand all of it because I'm the author of it. <laughs> you think you understand math? Uh, the whole entire universe is framed with mathematics. Where'd that come from? Randomly, evolution, Kevin, the Big Bang. The Big Bang made everything mathematical. So order came from chaos, is what you're saying. It's complete foolishness, it's designed. If the designer designed it, then it can be understood. What's the point? That's the point. The Spirit of God is given. And not only is he given to accelerate you, that you, God wants, here's a good one. God wants his people in positions of influence. Did you know that? He wants you in a position of influence, wherever that is. But he wants his people to become active parts of the world around them, the business world, the business community, whatever it may be, the home, the, the, the neighborhoods. And that's possible only through the Holy Spirit. Another reason is not just to heighten your abilities or your, your created abilities, but he heightens your spiritual abilities. He activates, the Holy Spirit is given to activate the priestly minister of the believer. So we got any charismatics in the room, you're going to like this one. The ministry of, the, of Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. And if I you know anything about spirit-filled churches or spirit-filled people, they always talk about kingdom, 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 kingdom authority, kingdom authority. Well, how do we get to kingdom authority? How do we get there? Because I've asked Jesus this question. How do we get to where we operate in authority, kingdom authority, where we can say, rise up? How do we get there? How do we get to these places where we can decree a matter and it comes to pass? How do we get there? Because it is possible because the Bible says it's possible. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not possible. Just because we don't know what we're doing doesn't mean it's not there. I felt like the Lord told me, you release the prophetic, you enter into priestly ministry, and then you'll see kingdom authority. You have to honor the prophetic, the prophetic ministry of the spirit within the church. You have to honor that. And not in the way, there's, there's the whole realm of that. We have to honor that. Then the second level is priestly ministry. We church does not understand priestly ministry. We know the verse. You are a royal what? That's right. Is that me? That's you. Do you understand what that means? It means you have a royal divine identity. You are sons and daughters of a king, and you are anointed and empowered as priests. Well, then, what's the next question? What the heck's a priest? Well, it's not the guy who takes confession in a booth. That's not, that's not what God's intending. A priest is one who ministers unto the Lord, from the Lord, 
and unto the world. That's the dynamic of a priest. And so the Holy Spirit is given to you to minister, to learn, and how and give you an ability to minister unto the Lord. We talk about receiving ministry from the Lord. A lot of Christians, their problems lie in is you don't understand how to minister unto him. We minister unto him. Worship and praise is not ministry unto you. Oh, I just don't feel the spirit. What well, doesn't matter if you feel the spirit? Because that part of that ministry is unto him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. And then the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He doesn't say he inhabits this. He inhabits, and then you praise him. No, we prepare him a habitation. We enter into priestly ministry. We begin to, pre- we begin to minister unto him with worship, with praise, with the fruit of our lips, with our hands lifted high, dance, song, singing, shouting. All of that is ministry unto the Lord. He, he likes it. What does ministry mean? It means he likes it. Like first service, we had a bunch of people dancing in here. And we're going, and we go to the left, and we go to the right, and we jump, jump. And people go, oh, that's silly. Do you see the kids up here? You're nothing but a big kid. I don't know if you know that. And your heavenly father looks at you, and he watches that, and he goes, I love it. It is awesome. They're going to the left. They're going to the right. Watch this. They're jump, 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 jump in the river. This is awesome. He likes it. It blesses his heart. Some of you, your children were up here. Did it not bless your heart? It blesses your heart. It's the same way your father, it blesses his heart. It ministers unto him. And then it blesses back to us. Some of you are like going, I'm going to take him out for an ice cream. He did so song, so good. He weighed that scarf like a, like a man. We're going to McDonald's afterwards. He ministered unto you, you minister back. That's the same. We minister unto the Lord. We receive ministry from him by the power of the Spirit. And then we receive from our Father, and we release it unto others. We bless others by the Spirit, in the Spirit, with love, with adoration, with all, the, all of that combined. There's more to it. Next slide. But you get the point. The Spirit of God is a gift. He increases and activates the relationship with the Father. He lets you know that you're loved of your Father. It's the outflow of love. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. It's to be experienced. It's to be encountered. It is not to be observed. So we do. We just observe it. Yes, I watched the love of God move throughout the room this morning. I didn't see, but it's to be encountered. It's to be experienced. Releasing and receiving, taking it unto yourself, pouring your heart out unto God, letting him pour his heart out unto you. Lord, what are you saying? Lord, what are you doing? Lord, what do you want? You know what Jesus does when you say that? He practically falls out of his chair or off his throne. I felt God's surprise and many times. I do this often in my life, but when I first started doing it, I'm like, Lord, what do you say? I don't care what they say. I don't care what anybody wants. What do you want? And I felt like Jesus went, whoa, somebody actually cares what I want? Whoa. You know, to begin to ask him, Lord, what do you want? Just let that cultivation start happening. Let God begin to direct you and lead you. What are you saying? What are you doing? What is your heartbeat, Jesus? What do you want? What do you say over me? What do you say about this situation? You say this, therefore I say this. You say I'm a son before you, therefore I say I'm a son before you. You say I'm empowered of heaven, therefore I say I'm empowered of heaven. You say that I'm more of a conqueror, therefore I say that I'm more of a conqueror. You get the picture? activates the relationship, empowers it. We start saying it over yourself, you feel the Spirit of God, I guarantee you. Just lift your hands, let's do this. Say, Holy Spirit, come. You say that I am a son and, or a daughter before my Father. Therefore, I say I'm a son 
and or a daughter before my father. You say that I'm more than a conqueror. Therefore, I say I am more than a conqueror. You say nothing by any means shall harm me. Therefore, I say nothing by any means shall harm me. Yeah, you see that? You, you can't say that without experiencing that. You can't say that without feeling that. You access a world beyond yourself. Like a river, he intends to flow into the areas of weakness. The Spirit gives help in our weakness. There's the delta. The Holy Spirit also says, my grace is sufficient and my strength is made, made perfect in your weakness. He flows into the areas of weakness, not just in your own life, but he wants to flow into the areas of weakness around you. That's the whole presence of heaven to earth. Heaven to earth says, where are the weak points in our society? Where's the brokenness within our society? Where's the wounds within these people, within these places, and within these things? And what would it look like if heaven showed up there? What would it look like if the spirit began to delta into that place? What would it look like? That's what it means. Like a river, he's intending on flowing. Next slide. So the question would be, what keeps it from flowing? What keeps him from flowing? Do you have a slide? Jump, jump. Oh, you got to use the pad. There it is. What restricts the flow? Say it. The problem is always on my side. 100%. Problem's not with Jesus. Problem's with you. Huh? This is what we do because this is what we justify. We justify our ignorance. We justify our cowardice. We justify our unbelief. We justify it. We say, well, if God wanted to, it would happen. I always ask the believer, I always ask Christians, I said, how many times did Jesus said he was not willing? How many times? Can you tell me? I'm sorry, there's four Gospels, and we also have a New Testament that basically testifies on behalf of the Lord, and not one place does it say he was not willing. Not one. So where's the problem? Well, if the Lord was willing, it would happen. The Lord's willing, are you? That's the question. What inhibits the flow of the Spirit in our lives? What an ignorance, which means you just don't know. Say this with me. My problem is going to be in one of two areas. I'm either ignorant or I'm arrogant. It's one or the other. You either don't know, which is fine, that can be easily corrected, or you're arrogant. You do know and you just don't care. Arrogance has to be humbled. Ignorance has to be educated. There's a difference there. But what hurts the believer is they're either ignorant, they don't understand, or they're arrogant, they do know, or they believe something that's contrary to what God says. That was Jesus' whole problem with the religious leaders. By your traditions of your fathers, you make the word or the power of God of no effect. By the belief systems of men, by the belief systems of your ancestors, by your perceptions of me and your perceptions of everything that's going on, there is no power in your life. Not because the power isn't available, but because you have a belief system and an understanding that inhibits me. Same thing in Nazareth. To repeat it again, Jesus couldn't do miracles in Nazareth, could he not? He goes to Nazareth, his hometown, couldn't do many miracles there because they couldn't believe him. Why? Because they refused to see him outside of their own perceptions. They had a perception of the Lord, and they refused to see him in any other way other than how they perceived him. It's actually the breaking of the second commandment. We created God in our own image. That's what that is. We, church needs to repent from idolatry. Doesn't mean you're not saved, but there's a lot of idolatry. We create gods in our own image. We create gods that are conformed to what we believe. We create gods that are conformed to what we think or, th or believe should happen. It's not God as you want him to be. It's God who he declares himself to be. We have to conform unto Christ. Christ does not conform unto you. 
And so it's who does he say that he is? That's the question. Jesus even asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He asked the whole crowd because he wanted to know what is your perception of me? How do you understand me? What do you see me as? That's the question. So what inhibits the spirit's flow? We're either ignorant or arrogant. We have self-consciousness. Adam, when he fell, became self-conscious. He became self-aware. He was naked the whole time. He just didn't know it. Now, all of a sudden, he transgresses against the Lord. He's like, what? <laughs> he goes and hides in the woods. Self-consciousness leads to a lack of surrender because it inhibits us from being vulnerable with the Lord. You don't have to be vulnerable with each other, but you do have to be vulnerable with Jesus. He already knows it all. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, he's greater than your heart, and he already knows everything. <laughs> so why are you hiding it? He already knows. He's just waiting for you to go, Lord, I'm really messed up. I need some help here. Okay, great, good. You have to not be self-conscious. You have to be surrendered unto the Lord and open. He knows everything about you, and he loves you just the same. Aren't you glad? He knows all the warts and all the moles and all the little whatever it is you got going on. He knows it all, and he loves you in spite of yourself. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Ideas and beliefs, disobedience and obediences lack, inhibit the spirit of God. Willful disobedience inhibits the God from moving. Christians can be saved and still hold lordship over areas of their life. Be born again, but you say, bless God, I'm master of my time. Don't you tell me what to do with my time. My time belongs to me. And now let's come into the living room. Oh, God, I'm born again, but don't you dare tell me what to do with my money. My money's mine. You're sovereign over your money. Jesus is Lord of your spirit, but he ain't Lord over your cash. Jesus is Lord over your spirit, but he's not Lord over your time. And here's the new revelation in the church today. This is our modern 21st century. Don't tell me what to do with my body. That's the modern millennial view. Well, I'm Christian, but don't you tell me what I can do with my body. Don't you tell me what I can do with my sexuality. Don't you tell me that. I can do what I want. You are sovereign in that area. You have not submitted that area unto the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Does that mean you're not saved? Well, I'm not going to go that far, but what I will say is that you are not, there is no increase of blessing and there is no flow in that area of your life. That I can guarantee you. There is no, whatever area is not in the lordship of life, of Christ, is not receiving the flow of the Spirit. That's guaranteed. And so you, if you will not submit that area, the flow of blessing will not occur. If you will not submit this area, the flow of blessing will not occur. I didn't say he didn't love you. He loves you. Well, if he loves me, he'll let me do what I want. Really? Do you, do you treat your kids like that? If you love me, Mom, you let me play on I-95. <laughs> you know what I do love you? Go out there, honey. Go in the express lane. Get the full experience. <laughs> you don't do that. Why would you think he does that? He doesn't do that. These are the problems. We, we inhibit ourselves in these areas. The Spirit of God does not move. Demonic intrusion. Disobedience. The Bible says he works in those areas. He inhabits or inherits the life of the believer through disobedience. How do you know? Well, I'll give you my, one of my favorite verses. I, this is core to me. Galatians. It says, I say to you that the heir. Everybody say that. I'm an heir. I'm an heir. As long as he's a child. Say, as long as I'm a child. I'm a child. I am no different than a slave. Though I am master of all but is under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the Father. What does that mean? It means you're under constant restriction until you grow up and learn who you are. The heir is no different. As long as the heir, you, stay in immaturity, stay in, stay in these levels of immaturity and don't grow, 
You are no different than a slave. Jeremiah says, is Israel a home-born slave? Did I create him for bondage? Did I create my people to be slaves? Why do they, why do the, do, do the enemies prosper? Jeremiah 2. Why are my people plundered? Because they depart from me. It's the same way of saying they're heirs, but they're no different than slaves because they refuse to grow in maturity. Either ignorantly or arrogantly, they won't go. Either nobody's told them to grow up or they go, well, I'm not going to grow up. I'm going to do what I want. And there's bondage because of that. That's why. But we're masters of all. Why would you want to be a slave when God's made you a master? Why would you want a boot on your neck when he's called you to rule and reign? Why would you want chains and slavery when he's called you to be free? Direct contact, that's an area where the enemy works. Some of you, there's, you've got witchcraft, you've got santeria, you've got macumba, you've got Freemasonry, you've got psychic hotline, you've got everything under the world going on in your life. And the enemy, whatever that may be, we, the list goes on. And the enemy holds rights in these areas because of the direct con contact that you have made. You've made an agreement, and he's, he comes into this arena. And he inhibits. So the areas of these lives, there's Christians that call the psychic hotline. Just got to know. What is, the, what is the, the whatever Long Island medium say? I don't know. Why don't we consult the spirit of God? You know? The enemy holds court in those areas because we've invited him in. Traumas, things that are done to you. What a trauma is, is something that's in you and you can't get rid of it. And if you have that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Things that have been done to you, things that you've experienced, things that you've encountered have traumatized you in a way that there's an inhibiting in, in your heart and in your spirit from, that, from those things. All this stuff can be undone, by the way. Patterns within your generations. As the lady said yesterday, if you see diabetes, 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 there's a pattern within your generations. It's spiritual. No, it's genetic, Kevin. Really? We say it's genetic because we don't understand the spiritual world. You don't think the enemy has a right to affect you genetically? You don't think it's an interesting thing. I meet people like this all the time. I'm one of them. There's a whole, every, every male in my family has diabetes on my dad's side, except one. Except me. I don't. You know why? Because I cut that cord of inheritance off. I don't draw my life from that bloodline. I renounce that. You can take that right back where it came from because that's not my inheritance. I am free in Jesus' name. I have no inheritance in that ray, and it will not come to me. Uh, I could go on. There's more stuff in my family. Should I unpack all of it, Jesus? Or are you telling me to go all in on this? <laughs> but there's patterns. But they don't have to continue. Oppressions. What is an oppression? It's what's going on. Things that are happening to you that make no sense. And they come and it goes. There's seasons of oppressions. Usually an oppression means you're going in the right direction. Yeah? You have a blowout in the car with the kids or the wife on your way to church. It usually means you're going in the right direction. That's an oppression. You're trying to come to a, a conference, something happens. You're trying to make a oh, th These oppressions happen to you, and they're negative experiences. They're oppressions against you, and it means you're moving in the right direction. Next slide. God has something for you, and the enemy don't want you to have it. Like a tree, the Holy Spirit grows out. We're crucified. We're to live a life that is free from the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I've been taught this my whole life. Anybody know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Because I'm completely out of time. Come on. Yeah. 
You know, like Miami's Cuban, so they're like, just keep going. It's all right. We'll get more coffee. It doesn't matter. It's all good. <laughs> Come on. Fruit of the Spirit. This is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentle, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there's no law. There's no limit. In other words, you can operate in these, these areas without limit. And so what the Spirit of God is saying is that through the Spirit, we bear fruit. But the fruit is where? In the trunk? In the branches, in the delta, in the outward expression of the spirit. So I've been taught many times, Bible schools taught me this too, that they're like, Kevin, you don't have a fruit tree. doesn't have to work to be a fruit tree. A lemon tree is going to bear lemons all on its own. Really? Then why don't we seize any fruit in the church? If that statement is true, if all we got to do is exist, then where is the joy? Where's the long suffering? Where's the kindness? Where's the faithfulness? Where's the self-control? Where is it? And why do we lack it so heavily? As believers, that's just a question. We have to look at the elephant in the room. Well, could it be that we don't understand that the life is in the branches? And you can have a tree. If that tree is frozen, the sap's not moving. When they get maple syrup, I love maple syrup, natural maple syrup. But they have to, the, the temperature of maple syrup has to below, below 50 degrees and above 40 degrees in order for maple syrup to flow. If it's below 40 degrees, the sap's not flowing. So the tree's not doing anything. There's lots of frozen chosens out there. The sap's not flowing, so there's no fruit. The Spirit of God has to flow. We have to have an outward expression within our life in order to bear the fruit of the kingdom. Holy Spirit is necessary and essential. You want to have peace tomorrow at work? Holy Spirit, come. Give me peace. You can have a hurricane whipping around you, and you can be, oh, hey, it's wonderful. <laughs> and they're going to be like, are you drinking? What's wrong with you? Fruit is born from the ability, from the tree's ability to let the sap flow. Life change comes from this. Not only does fruit bring life change, fruit brings benefit to other people. We're of no benefit to others without the Holy Spirit. We're just taking up space. You're called to be a benefit to people. You're called to bless the kingdom. You're called to bless your Father. And you're called to make a difference in this world. I'm going to take this as a two-parter. So next, I mean, you're like, yeah, right, right? So... <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about this same sort of idea. I'm going to go into it, some other things a little bit differently. But if you want to read this week, I'll give you some stuff to read. John chapter 14 through 17. You can read Isaiah 11. I'm not saying you got to understand it. I'm not asking for a biblical exegesis on it. You just read it to familiarize yourself with the text. Isaiah 11, talking about the Spirit of the Lord. Zechariah 4 and 5 talks about the menorah, which is, again, a delta. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So these are just some things for you to read, and you'll be familiar with some of the stuff that maybe I'm referencing um, like next week. Amen? If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus. Today is your day. We're going to do two things. We're going to pray, receive Jesus, and we're going to take communion together. But if you've never received the Lord, today's your day. The Bible said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You'll be able to enter the kingdom, and you'll be able to have access to the spirit that I'm speaking of. And he's not just any spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of life. He's the spirit of kindness and forgiveness, spirit of power, spirit of soundness. And you can have him. And all you got to do is open the door of your heart. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open, I will come in. He can't open the door for you. You have to open it. So if you're here this morning and that's you, just open the door of your heart. Say, I'm not sure I understand it. I didn't, you don't have to. You have to believe. Belief and understanding are two different things. The church is going to pray with you, so just pray along with us and just open your heart. And Jesus will take you at your word. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe 
that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, that's it? No, that's the start of it. Uh, there's much, much more. So we're going to take communion. It's the way we do it here at Elevate. We, if you can play music, Sherry, or if Jody, if you're so inclined.